Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Chad Henson. Talking money and investing. So, Chad, question came in. Somebody was talking about setting up a foundation. Right. And that kind of led to us saying, hey, we ought to talk a little bit about this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the issue, number one, when we heard, oh, I want to set up a charitable foundation. And then we were like, yeah, there come some issues, a couple things that you really, really need to think about regarding that. Many issues. minded. <laughs> I tend to tend to donate directly to charities, you know, when we, it's kind of fun. My wife and I do that. And, but, you know, she's even say, hey, what should we think about this? And I'm like, <laughs> so why would I say to her? <laughs> yeah, because, well, the legality of fun, uh, foundations to start with, I mean, they're quite expensive to set up. Uh, there's really not a limit of, you know, how much money you have to have to do a foundation. We typically think of you know, people, Huge, yeah, incredibly very high people doing net it, worth. Right. Yeah. And the reason being, the reason they choose to go that route, even though it's maybe not as tax advantaged as other routes is that they can direct the, the funds specifically. So and this is where you could run into some issues, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know where you're going with that, but <laughs> on the legal aspect of it, let's say, you know, you're, you know, there's a medical university that's doing, you know, cancer research, but there's a department in the cancer research that is doing gene therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, with with a foundation, you can do a specific grant to that university's gene therapy. Mm-hmm. So you can get really down to the, the really details granular. of how you want to the mm-hmm. money to be spent rather than just, you know, funding the cancer research at that university, which may be broad based across many different different things. What are some of the issues, though? Some of the issues are you don't want to get caught because self-dealing. Because you can direct it so yeah, much. You're subject to uh, you know the IRS viewing it as self-dealing. So you know, yeah, it's uh, so and, so. You know, how about audits? Audit. It's a huge red flag anytime that you know there's a foundation. Uh, the IRS heavily scrutinizes the financials of a foundation, and to make sure there's no self-dealing going on. And other, you know, illicit, illegal, you know, tax evasion types of things, you know, being done. So, right. So, so that you know, in and of itself, that can be an issue. Uh, one of the things. What are some of? Let's talk a little bit about the possible alternatives to that. So, a good alternative to that is what's called a donor advised fund. It's typically like an endowment that is set up. Um, and you have the ability. So what you do basically is you donate. It's basically a five one c three. Correct. It qualifies as that. So you're typically used to hearing that term with regards to charities, charities, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So you you donate a sum of money. Uh, it becomes the property of the donor advised fund, the endowment. It's a property of, but you direct 
for the most part, 99.9% of the time, you advise how you want the funds distributed, and they typically will follow those directions. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, you know, because, and then you get the immediate tax deduction, you know, when you make that contribution. Right. I was going to bring that up as to why would you do that rather than just donate to these charities directly, you know, each year. Well, most of us, you know, aren't donating enough money to charities to itemize on our deductions. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is say, okay, I was planning on donating $50,000 over the next five years. Well, if I donate $10,000 a year, I'm not going to exceed what my standard deduction is and not be able to take Mm -hmm. the tax deduction. Mm -hmm. But if I take the full $50,000 and donate it immediately Mm -hmm. to the donor advised fund, then I can take advantage of itemizing those deductions at that point and then still distribute the money over the next five years. Right. So, you know, with that, that is a big reason that people do it. They'll do it forward because, yeah, if you look at the standard deduction right now as we speak, it's much higher than it was in previous generations, far, right. far higher. Yeah. So, you know, what happens, people look at that, let's say you're married, finally joining, you know, close to $30,000. You get to, just for fogging a mirror, that you right. get to deduct from your income taxes. <laughs> and the reality of it is part of what is in that standard deduction was your charitable, you know, because you might take things and you say, I've got my property taxes, I've got, you know, I've got certain, let's say, healthcare costs, I've got my charitable contribution, and, you know, all those things add up. And if that number is less than the standard deduction, you're going to say, well, heck with it, I'll just choose the standard deduction, right? you know, and then not mess with it. And then what happens is you, you is, in essence, you have lost your charitable deduction is basically what Chad's saying right there. Now, if we can go and bunch that, if we can go and take five years worth of charitable giving and bunch it into one year and then go to 50,000, 60,000, whatever it is, and then you have, you know, the other things, your, the other expenses in that year, your property taxes as well, you know, in that one year. So you got all your, though, that forward donation to the, to the donor advised fund, plus your property tax, plus your healthcare expenses in 2024, let's say. Then, then you go, well, I'll do that in 2024. And then 2025, I'll go back to the standard deduction. You know, right. so, so that, that can be significantly helpful. Yeah. Just to, you know, put this in perspective too, it's not something that is, for everyone, you know, it's because uh, you are limited on your deduction to 60% of your AGI if it's a cash donation to or a cash endowment. Um, and then if you're contributing appreciated securities, it's a 30% of your AGI. So it's not like, you know, you're going to just, you know, if you make 50000 a year and you want to put 100000 into a donor advised fund, you know, you're, you want to work specifically with your tax advisor to make sure that you're not over contributing beyond what you could benefit from it on the, on the deduction. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, with these things, that is the big benefit, you know, 60% of adjusted gross income is pretty big, but you know, what happens if you're making donations and you're not getting much of a deduction because your tax bracket has dropped to next to nothing. Right. And, you know, so you want to think about that too, yeah. you know, what exactly. is, yeah. you know, what is your, 
tax bracket? Where where are you sitting there? Does it make sense to do that? Because you know, typically, what happens when you donate it? Now, you made a comment a little bit earlier. Explain that a little bit because they typically listen to what you want to give the money to. Uh, talk more about that. So, in most cases, you want to research a little bit, or at least work with an advisor that works with a donor advised fund. Uh, because when you make the uh, contribution, the endowment to the fund, it is no longer your money, it's their money. Now, you want to make sure that you're working with a company that will follow your direction, your wishes and everything. But, you know, for instance, let's but say... there's no requirement that they do it even. Correct. So, yeah. Especially if they... Then, then, then all of a sudden now you can have a situation where you could be self-directing or um, doing things for your own benefit. Yeah. You know, and people might want to help out a family member. Right. Right, and for example. Yeah, exactly. Or and a that's, friend. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that, yeah. the, uh, that the endowment company has ownership of it and uses your wishes as a guideline. But it, mm-hmm. it helps to remove that possibility of the self-dealing that the IRS frown significantly on mm-hmm. now additional fees additional fees yes they are uh, costly uh well i won't say costly but there is an additional fee uh they range anywhere from usually about roughly three quarters of a percent to a percent per year mm-hmm. um and you can't just say okay this is what i'm going to do and so i can take the big tax deduction i'm going to put a hundred thousand dollars in it this year and then i'm going to immediately distribute it so that i don't get charged any fees uh they're not going to do that mm-hmm. you know because that's a lot of work for them and they're not getting paid anything so they're going to have requirements you know that say you can't just put money in it and take it immediately right back out just to get the tax deduction that's they're not a they're not there for that yeah recognize that that is an issue, you know, when you do these types of things, there is some work on their end, they're going to charge a fee for doing that work, you know, so you have additional expenses, you got to weigh those additional expenses. But you know, for some people, it can make a whole lot of sense. So we just want to make sure that you were aware that it existed. Definitely. If you're making a sizable donation, you know, the tax savings that you got may cover those expenses, you know, more than, you know, but it's, yeah, it's not for every every investor, certainly, and it's certainly not. I wouldn't recommend it as, you know, if you're just doing small small charitable donations type of thing. Yeah, and, and just, you know, at, at this point, just full disclosure, kind of where I'm at right now, I, I am just okay at this point in just giving donations as, you know, as I see fit. That's what I do. Directly to you know, groups, uh, but there, there can be a use for these types of things. And it'd be something to talk to a planner about as far as whether it makes some sense for you to do this or not. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. 
Everyone in the office is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Now this week article in the Wall Street Journal worth mentioning 8.8 they were talking about this on CNBC as well uh you know this this week 8.8 trillion dollar cash pile that has stock market bulls salivating so okay. <laughs> yeah Wall Street hopes trillions yeah Wall Street hopes trillions of of dollars in money market funds will flow into stocks and bonds investors have varying plans a uh, couple things that I saw that I just thought I'd point out in this article. I thought it was uh, useful for education purposes. It says, rising interest rates drew trillions of dollars into money market funds and other cash-like investments in the past couple of years. More than $8.8 .8 parked in money market funds. You know, you had the last couple of months of the year, and it would take you four years to earn in money market accounts what stocks did in two months. I'm uh, just... Same. That would be a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, money market. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just just saying for four uh, years. And, and and I'm not saying money. I'm not saying you know. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm not saying money markets uh, don't have their place. But you know, just recognize that quite often what happens is people store up money in in investments in cash investments, and then they're waiting for that opportunity. But recognize the last two months of last year was a heck of an opportunity right. that these people missed because I'm reading this article in January of right. 2024. How many of those people forewent for you know, those two months and invested in January 1? Every one of them. Because yeah. they're, they're all in. <laughs> How many? That's it. Every one of them. Uh, but they had a couple of things. Uh, they had this one person as a pharmacist. And he's 37 years old, has around $80,000, a bit more than 10% of his overall assets in money market funds, inflation-adjusted savings bonds. Again, another thing that can be very volatile, I-bonds. Plans to eventually use that cash to buy a rental property, that would, but would consider investing it in blue-chip stocks in the meantime should interest rates fall and render yields less attractive. Now, what's the problem with that? He's going to invest in rental property and blue chip stocks. What could possibly go wrong there? You got me. What could go wrong there? <laughs> yeah. I think what we know is that blue yeah. chip stocks were the hottest asset category yeah, last absolutely. year. Absolutely. And real estate hasn't been cold. No. But and then when you have higher interest rates, it tends to get a little bit that's, cold. That's where I got stuck on the whole thing. You said he was using money markets to invest in real estate, but mortgage rates are higher than interest rates, and it's, it's a losing battle there. I mean, I, I hope he's planning to pay cash for the property if he thinks that, you know, the, the money market is Well, you're buying a job. You know, yeah. as I often talk about when you're buying real estate, if you like that job, a lot of people think about buying real estate that don't have any business being in that because oh, that's, yeah. it's, that's not an area that they're very... You need to have some experience in real estate if you want, if you want rental properties. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, that is one thing, uh, blue chip stocks being the other thing that he's talking about here. And I look at, you know, that as saying, well, Dan, you know, that horse has been out of the barn for a few years. Right. Uh, and, and you look at a lot of other areas, it's the most expensive area of the stock market right now. Uh, then he says what this guy and others decide uh, is key to what happens next in markets. Expectations that the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates later this year spurred big rallies at the end of 2023, driving major index to near records. The heat is beginning to dis dissipate. And, you know, you have, you know, ups and downs in the markets. That, that's normal. I mean, you look at what do we have? 5% negative returns happen uh, on average, what, three times per year? Is it 10% returns happen three times per year? I think year? it's 10% three 10 times. 10% three times per year on average historically. Yeah, I think the 5% swings are much higher than three times a year. Yeah, I, for, I forgot the stat now. That's terrible because yeah. I, I used to know that like the back of my hand, how often those those returns negatives happen per year. But it's pretty doggone common. Let's just put it this yeah. way. 10%. Three times per year. I think that's right. I think that's I think correct. that is right. 25% uh, is every five years, as I recall. I think that is sounds, what it was. Something that like sounds that. sounds about right. You look at 25%, that's huge. Yeah. And, you know, every five years or every three years, it's every three or five years. Oh, doggone it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, people start to panic at a 10% drop. So, you know, 25, if, you're, if you've made it to that point, you know, the panic is really set in. Yeah. Yeah, so when you when you look at that and then all of a sudden it's gone down like that and then you're like I got to get out, then again the horse is out of the barn. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know the, the money markets, you know, you look at that and say, well, what is it that bulls are salivating over? It is the increased demand for stocks that would be created, right? By that money flowing in into to the stock market. But sure. when that happens, when that demand is created because that money all of a sudden flows, it's too late. And the people pulling their money out of the money market funds are creating the demand and they're increasing the price themselves. Right. So literally what happens is they don't get the old low price. They get the new price that their demand has created, which is higher. And they've shot themselves in the foot. And this is what so often happens to investors. Now, what is the purpose of money market accounts? Where do they make sense in a an investment portfolio? They make perfectly good sense for housing, you know, like your emergency fund where you need a liquid asset you know, that's readily available that can't go down in value. And that makes sense to have you know, some of that maybe in your investment portfolio if you are you know, nearing retirement or in retirement and taking an income, something that you know, has a good stable value. Certainly don't want to overdo it though. I found the data while you were talking. Excellent. 5% downturns three times per year was what it was. Spot on. Okay. 10% was once a year. 15% once every two years. Okay. 20% or more every three and a half years. So it's three and a half years. I think the key observation from that is to realize that you're going to have 20% drops. They're going to dent. Downturns are inevitable. Yep. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.
Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.